The humble condom. While it might seem like a bit of a buzzkill, this no more than eight one hundredths of a milliliter is all that separates us from a world of unwanted pregnancies and rampant infection. So why is the condom so controversial? Join us on a journey through the history of the condom from cute little dick bonnet to our modern rubber. We'll also explore how the condom's public image has changed just as much along the way. We'll meet the clergymen and Casanovas who've detested them and explore the reasons why men still don't like wearing them to this day. All to answer our rude question, why don't men wear condoms? That's what you're in for today on Impolite Society. You're listening to Impolite Society with Laura and Rachel. Burp. It was a challenge I saw on TikTok that was like, drink a whole bottle of Sprite without burping. Like, chug it. That's impossible. Yeah, the guy was like, I'm in pain. Of course you are. (laughs) Burping is good. Challenges are so dumb. Yes, they are. (laughs) I challenge you to do a podcast. Go. Hello out there. That's right. You are listening to Impolite Society, the podcast that answers the root questions. You cannot ask your one night stand after you forgot their name the next morning. I am Laura. And I'm sorry, what was your name again? Oh my gosh, this is so crazy. My name is actually Laura as well. <laughs> liar, Laura liar. And Laura, the vocally identical host of Impolite Society. Who says what? The world may never know. (laughs) You lie. Your name's Rachel. My name is Rachel, and I am not Laura. So (laughs) you're going to be tested over whose voice is whose in a couple minutes. (laughs) Text Rachel or Laura to 1878 to vote for whose voice it is. (laughs) I'm going to make that joke work one day. Well, today we are getting back into an OG Impolite Society episode. I feel like we've been getting a little lofty lately, and we got to bring it down. Back it down to something simple. A rude question that I've been asking myself ever since I became sexually active, and probably even a few years before that, as you you see movies, you've heard people talk, you heard men complain about it, and women complain about men not doing it. And I know that if I've been wondering it, I'm sure there are plenty of our listeners out there who are wondering the same thing, which is why don't men want to wear condoms? I've never heard that complaint before. Well, you must be living under a rock. (laughs) That was a joke. I feel like that is a age-old complaint where men just don't want to wear condoms. And they've been using that line for it's the beginning of time. They truly, truly have. And this was something that I always heard people say, but then I saw my own husband do. And I was like, you are such a nice guy. You're so normally wanting to do whatever anybody asks. And this is the one thing that I continually had to like, (laughs) be like, no. And so it really nailed it home for me that this is a big problem (laughs) that a lot of people are dealing with. So because I my super nice husband still is like, so imagine if you have a real asshole (laughs) <laughs> a boyfriend or a husband. Someone who really does not care about you. Exactly. Or your wishes. And so it's a real question. And you might be thinking to yourself, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? I know why men don't want to wear them. But I want you to hold that thought, dear listener, because I have some research for you and some history. And it might not be exactly what you suspect. And if you're a dude... You might be feeling a little bit like the famous lover, Casanova, who once said in the late 1700s, he didn't like shutting himself up in a piece of dead skin in order to prove that he was well and truly alive. Okay, Luigi. (laughs) (laughs) That's like where all my accent work comes from. My Italian accent work. 
It also sounds like iambic pentameter, also, like the way that you do it. <laughs> yes, yes. English is far too flat. We need to have more melodies. <laughs> melodies. <laughs> melodies. There's a lot of Italians in this episode, actually. Of course, they're lovers. They're people who are very passionate. And in the heat of passion, they might not have time to wrap it up. Even Casanova. He was known to slip on more than his fair share of rubbers in the end. So let me tell you a tale today. A tale of the humble condom, its full and fascinating history, and why people have been so hesitant to adopt them. Wrap up your bananas, grab a seat, and here we go. Because, as we say around here, I went on a journey. I had a whole different outline for this episode. I had to scrap it. Because the history of the condom was as long as John Holmes's scary-ass circus penis. It was never-ending, and it was just too interesting to be shut down. So, let's do it. Let's get right into the history here. The condom has just about as many origin stories as it has nicknames. There's the Jimmy, a rubber, a French letter, but whatever you call them, the beginning of the condom is an impossible thing to pin down, and it's a hotly debated topic among historians. I read a medical article from the Indian Journal of Urology that said the first condom was used by the father of the Minotaur, Minos, because he had serpents and scorpions for semen. Tracks. Totally tracks. I've actually encountered a few men with that myself. This was in a medical journal. So. The Indian medical <laughs> journal. So I guess take that for what it's worth. That no one fucking knows. And part of academia's best guess on the origins of condoms is a minotaur. So <laughs> I can imagine Perseus running through the labyrinth and he's like, where is this beast? He's where like, is it? Ah! And, then he hears, <laughs> and around the corner emerges this thing with the head of a bull and the body of a man. And it is just rocking a giant boner that's like wrapped in a, in a condom. And it's like, hey. And Percy is like, no! Which is ironic because why would he need the condom if he was having sex with all the virgins from Crete, right? Like, don't they send over the virgins? Like, they're clean, right? Well, this was actually his father's. This was the Minotaur's father. Okay, so he was trying to prevent this abomination. And there are a ton of condom origin stories. Some scholars say that it was the Egyptians who used linen which I don't know what kind of linen that they used back in that day, but the kind of linen clothes I buy nowadays look like cheesecloth. Like the kind of shit you would wrap a mummy up with? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think just hearing that made every hole in my body tighten up. <laughs> oh, ooh. Yeah, just don't no, want, no. I don't want a mummy cheesecloth. <laughs> How that hurt. The Egyptians, they said that they even dyed them different colors to signify a man's social ranking. And others say that it was the Chinese who made them out of paper. Again, I question the efficacy rate here. And paper cuts. Ow! And then there are also others that say it was the Japanese who made them out of tortoise shells. Maybe a bit more effective than paper, but it certainly doesn't sound very comfortable to me. Doesn't sound that much worse than the other options we ran through. And still others say it was Romans that made them popular and they used sheep and goat bladders. Well, that's an interesting take to me because I feel like the Romans weren't really running a lot of risk of impregnating people. So they were, I wonder why they did it. <laughs> All roads. All roads, right? We have, I can't miss an opportunity to bring that up, to bring up sodomy. Never ending. I mean, we talk a lot about the ancient Romans, so I feel like it's fair. We can hashtag never forget. Nope. And then there is the myth about King Charles II of England, who asked his doctor, Dr. Condom, to make something that kept him from siring illegitimate children. Okay, so I can just imagine Dr. Condom being like, uh, Okay, Chuck, um, you know, I'll do my best, but I, I really got into this whole doctoring thing for my love of cutting hair, so <laughs> I don't know an awful lot about the, the human body, but I'll give it my best shot. Well, there might not be a consensus on the origin of the condom, but there is one on Dr. Condom, and that is that this is complete bullshit. 
But they still can't agree on whether or not the father of the Minotaur was the first condom user. So I'm guessing we're just taking all this with a grain of salt. Who the fuck knows? But the first completely concrete mention of condoms was in 1564. And it was in the writings of Gabrielli Fallopio. And Fallopio was a Catholic priest and an anatomist, which I think is a pretty curious combination of professions back in that day. Who else had all the access to the dead bodies? Apparently. The church. (laughs) And he was also the one who discovered fallopian tubes. Fallopio? Like found. Found them. Discovered. He didn't. They were were there before he discovered them. He didn't. He found them. He maybe saw them for the first time. And then said, hey, I'm going to stick my name on that shit. And then he also got a hole in the face named after him uh, above the eye socket where like a nerve comes through your skull. One of the optic nerves, I think. Oh, gosh. This guy needs another body part named after him. Like, I need another hole in the head. (laughs) But apparently he was pretty good uh, at what he did. So props to Fallopio. And he was writing about condoms, and that was because syphilis had just popped up in 1495, which is about 70 years before his writings were discovered. It was a brand new on-the-scene disease, and it tore through Europe and Asia like a busted condom on prom night. Syphilis, it was known as the French disease because it started off with a bunch of French troops, and a historical stereotype was born. But... Fallopio had a solution. He actually created a barrier method against the SIF, and that involved linen sheaths that were soaked in chemicals, dried, and then used on the glands of the penis during intercourse. And for those who might not be uh, anatomically in the know, the glands is just the tip. It's like a little bonnet, like (laughs) a little Easter bonnet for your dick. Does it have like frills and everything? That is 100% correct. He tied it tight with a nice little piece of ribbon. And I'm not joking. That's exactly what happened. (laughs) And he tested it on over a thousand men. And not one of them went insane or had their face fall off from syphilis. So people were like, hey, you might be onto something here. But did they confirm that any of the women that they had sex with had syphilis? Because that could also (laughs) shut it right down. Science. (laughs) Science in the, what, 1600s? Yeah. Yeah. These 1,000 men had sex with a bunch of sheep and then nobody had syphilis. Well, if they had sex with a bunch of French prostitutes, there's a pretty good chance that they did have syphilis, so it looked pretty good. I mean, I guess that's probably who you could only have access to to participate in the other half of this study. (laughs) So after these writings were published a few years after Fallopio's death, people started making their own because syphilis was a really big problem in Europe and they did not have any other good solutions. Well, actually, there's one 100% foolproof way to uh, prevent the spread of sexually transmitted infection. And that, Laura, is abstinence and avoiding sex altogether. Take off your little dick bonnet unless you are going to mass on Sunday. (laughs) Well, you have a person that's in your corner because the next official mention of condoms in history is when a Jesuit Catholic theologian, Leonardus Lessius, wrote a treatise on how condoms were completely immoral because they weren't only being used as a way to protect against STDs, which is bad, of course, because STDs are God's way of punishing their bad immoral behavior. Naturally. 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 But also because people were using them as <gasps> contraception. God's other way of punishing bad behavior. <laughs> and I'm going to give some props to the Catholics here for being consistent because 300 years later, they're still holding this line. And I do. I appreciate consistency. I like it when people stick to their guns. So good for you guys, I guess. I think they're okay with condoms now. Yeah. No. Or am Mm. I a bad Catholic? No, you're a bad Catholic. Not. Well, that's good because I never use condoms. (laughs) 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 But not everyone was going to let these Catholics rain on their penis parade. And the use of condoms continued as they should have so (laughs) and new methods and materials were being used intestines and bladders instead of these linen sheaths 
these intestines and bladders, they were already being cleaned and prepared for use in glove making. So it was very convenient to just change up how we intended to use those items. And they made other versions that were made of leather. <laughs> and those covered actually the entire penis rather than just just the tip. Were those leather penis sheets, were they single use or was it like your trusty leather penis sheath that you just carry with you from your 18th birthday on? They weren't specific in the research that I read, but I would imagine leather probably reusable. Yeah, I feel bad for the poor surf who got stuck cleaning out the <laughs> barons. <laughs> Cock sock. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. So condoms were sold in all kinds of everyday places. They sold them in pubs, barbershops, chemists, theaters, marketplaces. And though I started off with a quote from Giacomo Casanova, in time, he did come around to use to condoms. In the 1700s, he would use them as a party trick. He'd blow them up as balloons to quality check them. And apparently all the ladies thought that that was pretty fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there wasn't a lot of entertainment back then. (laughs) They're like, oh, my God, a balloon, a sheep's intestine. (laughs) Yeah, made out of a dick sheath. This is amazing. Lovely. And at this point, condoms were used almost exclusively by the upper and middle class. They were pricey or too pricey for the common prostitute to afford. but. In the mid-1800s, condoms became more accessible and more mainstream. Some of the health advocates in Britain and the U.S., they started making literature for lower classes, like little pamphlets, on how to make their own condoms at home. Well, this seems like the most un-American thing I've ever heard in my life. It's very anti-capitalist because, one, they're teaching you how to make them yourself when they could be selling them to you against our whole national code. (laughs) And B... Why are we trying to limit the workforce, man? You need all these humans being generated to fuel the machine of progress and industry. Well, we'll get to how the U.S. dealt with condoms later. (laughs) But advertisers, they started placing ads in British newspapers in the 1840s rather than just selling them under the counter. And then in 1861, the very first condom ad appeared in the U.S. in the New York Times. Now we're back on track. That sounds right. That tracks. And by this point, many a dicks had seen the inside of a sheep. No doubt. (laughs) But in 1855, the first rubber condom was made major i think this is hilarious major rubber companies they were mass producing condoms along with shoe soles tires and gaskets just all the necessities oh yeah all coming off the uh, the factory line here but the condoms were not the slim and trim latex versions that we know these were super thick very rigid and molded into penis shapes <laughs> And imagining trying to slip your cock into a generally molded condom sounds awful. <laughs> like trying to use a tortoise shell as a diaphragm. <laughs> like it just. Yeah. Oh, jeez. It puts new meaning to the question Are you in yet? Because <laughs> you could literally not know. <laughs> Like, am I in the condom or am I in you? I can't tell. Like, is that you or is that just the condom there? <laughs> <laughs> Hard to tell, baby. I can't even tell myself. It's condom stuffing. It's a whole new thing. Oh, man. That would be totally easy to do if you had like a little dick and then you would just buy the bigger ones and then just stuff it full of gauze or whatever. Yeah, I'd be like, don't worry, baby. I'm a grower, not a shower. <laughs> Turn off the lights. <laughs> You hear a lot of rustling. (laughs) It's fine. Wait for it. (laughs) Yeah, don't don't question it. Just go with it. But these versions, they were reusable. So they were more economical. And over time, uh, the design got thinner for better feeling. So no more condom stuffing. But skin condoms were still the rage. The ones made out of bladders and really thin leather was the way to go. It's probably because you can't beat the real thing, right? Synthetic materials aren't going to quite feel the same. I mean, even if it's not truly Skin to skin. It's uh, skin to somebody else's internal skin. <laughs> Sexy. Well, I mean, that's absolutely true because leather or these pieces of dead skin, I mean, they conduct heat much better than any synthetic material. It's what it's made to do. So it makes sense that this was the preferred method for so, so long. 
So I just went through almost 300 years of condom history. And in that 300 years, the condom proved that he was there to stay. He started as a fledgling, a little underdog in the war against syphilis, but he proved his worth. He gained mass popularity and he had industry competing on who would make the best versions. The little dick bonnet that could, if you will. (laughs) So like your point, Rachel, you'd think that that would be the end of this little raincoat's journey. But no, there is more. There is a lot more to this story and we are going to get into the rest of condoms history after this short break. I think I can. 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 I, think I, can. I, think I, can. I hold this. Um! I'm stopping your train here because Uh-oh. the little condom that could is going to meet his match in the late 1800s. <gasps> Have you ever heard of Anthony Comstock? Not, uh, not a bit. Sounds familiar, maybe. So I love doing this research because I rediscovered him. Comstock is the name of the villain in Bioshock 3 that I did not know was a real person. And at some point I discovered he was a real person and was shocked. And then I completely forgot about it and then came back again and did this research to rediscover that Comstock was a real person. And so I'm just, this is another reason why this research just tickled me. What is Bioshock 3? It's a game. Okay. Was it not clear about that? Sorry. So Anthony Comstock, he was the U.S. Postal Inspector at the time. And he was a real stick-up-the-ass kind of guy. I honestly cannot think of a better way to describe him. Sounds like a, a lot of fun to hang out with at a party, like a real groovy dude. <laughs> yeah. He was very, very religious. And he actually used to complain to his superiors in the Union Army that the language of his fellow soldiers was too obscene. So like you said, real good time at parties. The guy that you really went around to uh, entertain your guests. Yeah, I'm sure that went over really well with his fellow soldiers. I'm sure he was very popular. Very popular, Anthony. That's what they called him. Well, he was so popular that in 1873, Comstock created the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice. And apparently he was popular enough to have some followers that did some real damage. In that same year, he succeeded in lobbying Congress to pass the Comstock Law. And he named it after himself. And he did indeed. Popular Anthony named it after himself. Jesus Christ. I bet he was a textbook condom stuffer, you know. (laughs) And... The Comstock law made it illegal to deliver anything through the U.S. mail that was obscene or lewd, which is obviously a really hard thing to define. But included in this category was printed information regarding abortion, the prevention of contraception, or the prevention of venereal diseases. So bye-bye mail-order condom business. You cannot send it via the U.S. Postal Service. Bye-bye advertisements for condoms. Not allowed. Boom. Illegal. I get what he's doing, but the execution is very peculiar to me. Why is he targeting the mail? Like how much? I Because he is the U.S. Postal Inspector. <gasps> so he can affect change exactly. where he wants it. Very I mean, direct. Can't stick a stamp on it. It's, uh, that's where he draws the line. <laughs> And in 30 states, he actually succeeded in making it illegal to manufacture or sell condoms. So on the federal level, we have the Constop Law. But in the states, these 30 individual states, it's just boom. Nope. Illegal. Can't have it. The government just doesn't want any part in anything that's icky. Like, you can't expect our dutiful, awesome postal service men to stoop to the level of carrying your schmutt and delivering it to your door. Yeah, to... Bring your sin straight to your front door. We can't Mm-mm. We can't be a part of that. And so, yeah, Comstock used his position in the Postal Service to be really thorough in enforcing this law. I'm so glad that people in elected or public office no longer use their position to enact their personal agendas. <laughs> I'm so grateful. It's really nice that we've moved beyond that. I agree. <laughs> it's, it's really nice. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it wasn't just old stick-up-his-ass Comstock that put a major dent in condoms' upward mobility. In 1889, Ireland's Indecent Advertisements Act made it illegal to advertise condoms. And while condoms were legal to advertise and sell in Italy and Germany, contraceptives absolutely were not. So as oh. long as they were advertised for disease prevention only, they could go on their merry way in Italy and Germany. Yes, you can have your condom, but you do have to poke a little tiny hole in it just in case, you know, because it can't be a contraceptive officially. You still need to have that little tiny risk of getting pregnant. <laughs> you have to leave room for the Lord. <laughs> yeah, you know, if Jesus wants that sperm to swim through the hole, he will carry it through. <laughs> and at this time, condoms, even though they're being attacked in court, they are absolutely still being sold. But it was kind of as code. So in England, what they used to say was a little something for the weekend, something that ah. they would say at the barber shop. I knew I loved the British only having sex on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> Chef's kiss. And then the advertisements that they did said that they were for gentlemen's rubber goods, which I thought was funny because I'm imagining like galoshes and raincoats. <laughs> like, well, yeah, that includes shoe soles, tires, and gaskets. <laughs> Men's rubber goods. But then another big change came right around the corner, and that was World War One. Started in 1914. And Britain and the U.S., they were the only countries who did not provide condoms to their soldiers in Europe. The Germans and the French, they were passing that shit out like candy. Oh, yeah. They're a little bit more European. They have sex on the weeknights. <laughs> and we suffered really, really badly because of the lack of prevention. By the end of the war in 1918, the U.S. military had over 400,000 cases of syphilis and gonorrhea. And... They had some treatment for syphilis, aside from abstinence, which was actually arsenic. <laughs> it wasn't super effective, and it wasn't until penicillin a few decades later that syphilis was properly treated. So this is a major problem. So you have soldiers coming back that are infected with the clap and syphilis, giving it to their wives, girlfriends, all this kind of stuff. That is a problem. And, uh, you know, America, you are 150 years old at this point. You need to start thinking about wising up, especially since it is a proud tradition of our country to use biological warfare, as we saw when they delivered smallpox-covered blankets to the Native Americans. It's a little bit karmic that the Germans then used that in, in the form of prostitutes. <laughs> they just, like, just threw them over the wall at us. And they were like, oh, like, yeah. They don't have any condoms. Throw them over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it probably was a tactic somebody thought of or somebody explored at least one point or another. They were coming up with all crazy ways to win this war. I don't know. Not so much in World War One. World War Two is when people got crazy sneaky with stuff. Oh, yeah. I forgot what war we were talking about. World War Two <laughs> was when uh, the Strategic Services um, Agency Operations, SSO, Strategic Services Operations, which is the forerunner to the CIA. That's when they got real crafty with stuff. It's, it's really fun. Cool history. Okay, anyway. <laughs> and that led to MK Ultra. Yeah. I know things. <laughs> <laughs> but then, progress in the condom world. In 1920, latex was invented. And fun fact, which I didn't know, latex is rubber mixed with water and, like, changed. I don't, I'm not a scientist, but, it's like. wet rubber. <laughs> that's, like. Not everybody's wet anymore. I don't know. Everybody's goal is to get the rubbers wet. And latex condoms were a godsend to every sex worker and John in the world. They were stronger, they were thinner, which meant more pleasure, and they had a shelf life of five years versus rubbers three. And they were cheaper. So in 1932, the London Rubber Company became Europe's first manufacturer of latex condoms, which is sold under the brand name Durex. Which I thought was fascinating. I'm like, it's such an old thing. It's still around. Yeah. I guess you don't really think about how old condom brands are, you know? So at this point, the U.S. military, they learned their lesson. And they started making condoms standard issue in the early 30s. Interestingly, Ireland took the train going the opposite direction. And condoms were outlawed from 1935 to 1978. Yeah, that's because you got to keep backfilling all of your people who are emigrating out, right? They're, they're known, the Irish are known for 
moving up and moving out. You got to keep backfilling. There, that is insane because it's just like women in pubs. Like they weren't allowed until like the mid 80s or something. And St. Patrick's Day, the pubs weren't even open until the 90s or something like that. It's just, you know, you think of Ireland as like this fun, relaxed, like happy-go-lucky place, but just giant downer of religion over there. (laughs) Entrenched in religious dogma, for sure. But it's awesome now. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And in World War II, the U.S. military, they didn't just give out condoms standard issue. Oh, no, 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 no. They had films, posters, lectures, and all kinds of catchy propaganda sayings like, don't forget, put it on before you put it in. They love rhyming over there in the army. And if somebody has a poster, a real vintage poster of that, you need to email me because I will totally put that in my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) As Laura mentioned at the top, sometimes her husband needs a reminder. (laughs) right above the bed <laughs> with a finger pointing at <laughs> we want you to put on a condom <laughs> so the condom was on its way to being pretty mainstream after world war ii in the 60s the last of the comstock laws were repealed and from 1955 to 1965 42 percent of americans relied on condoms for birth control and in britain from 1950 to 60 60% of married couples use condoms. I think those are pretty good numbers. The birth control pill kind of slashed all this though. That came out in the early 60s and quickly became the world's number one form of birth control. But condoms, they're scrappy. They've always been hanging in there as a solid number 2. Yeah, because you don't need a prescription. Any old eighth grader can walk into a gas station across the street from the church where their parents just dropped them off and buy a packet of condoms. Well, there is absolutely still a stigma around condoms for that eighth grader, because if you've seen any comedy made in the 70s, the 80s, you've seen that scene where the boy or the teenager has to ask for condoms from behind the counter and the pharmacist like gives him a, you know, a stern look and like you know, wags his finger at him and he's super embarrassed. Don't worry, these are for masturbating. (laughs) Easier cleanup. (laughs) Advertising was still super taboo and TV ads were simply not allowed. And in many states, advertising condoms as birth control was still illegal. But what changed all this was the AIDS epidemic. First reported in 1981, and the U.S. Surgeon General almost immediately started recommending condoms as a preventative measure for people. So this is when the condom became truly normalized in the Western world. The print media, it was mailed out pamphlets in every doctor's office. The demonstrations that you were talking about, putting it on a banana, became normal and commonplace. Wait, they sent that through the mail? The banana? No. No, <laughs> The pamphlets. The pamphlets. They did. They sent condoms. What happened to the Comstock law? I mentioned it. They got rid of it. Oh, shit. They repealed it? In the 60s, yes. Oh, shit. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Our friend Comstock is turning in his grave. And in the early 90s, TV advertisements were finally allowed in the U.S. And the condom, it busted out from behind the counter at that pharmacy to being sold pretty much everywhere. Supermarkets, department stores, vending machines in the bathroom, gas stations, they are absolutely everywhere. Perfect time to be an eighth grader who's buying condoms across the street from the church where their parents dropped them off. God, why is an eighth grader buying condoms? Don't! Sorry. That's just that's, me and that my... That's a true story. I'm not sure me. It is. Not me. I know that there are plenty of eighth graders who buy condoms and it makes me sad. <laughs> Please don't. Don't have sex. No, I mean, if you're going to have sex, (laughs) use a condom. But don't have sex if you're in eighth grade. You're too little. Depending on how many times you flunked eighth grade. Fair. If your sixth go around, I'd say go for it. Go for it. (laughs) Only with somebody else who's your age. Yeah, not other eighth graders. (laughs) Exactly. Firm line in the sand. (laughs) So this whole historical tale was absolutely insane to me. I don't know about you. I came of age in the mid-90s, and condoms were everywhere. It never occurred to me that they had been illegal in the USA. I grew up seeing them in every health pamphlet, 
every bathroom vending machine, given away at pride festivals and health clinics and fish bowls. So this blew my mind. I know people talk about the puritanical roots of America, but this whole tale really just nailed it home for me. I'd never seen it demonstrated in such a clear way. I I was absolutely blown away. And when we talk about these puritanical ideals or values, like to me, they have less to do with morality and telling people what's right and way more to do with control, right? We want to control how you reproduce. We want to control how you have sex to create those punishments to prevent people from doing what we think is wrong. And it's just, you know, that's why they call the 60s the the sexual revolution and free love because people were just starting to have choice when it came to those kind of things where you didn't have to abide by the rules that were essentially forced on it. We could have been a lot more sex positive from 1920, right? When the first latex condoms became popular. Yeah. But it was really those that control that the establishment wasn't really ready to give up yet. Well, it's like there was the thing that was mainstream that, quote, everybody felt. But then not everyone started to agree with the mainstream. And that's when they felt that need to exert control. It's like they didn't have to make these laws in the 1500s about not mailing out pamphlets about condoms because it never even occurred to people to do it because condoms were a contraceptive. Contraceptives were sin. We all knew not to do it and everyone was agreement. It's when things started to change and there started to be bigger and bigger groups of people who didn't agree with it. That's when the establishment is like, I have to have laws to enforce my beliefs because we're not all on the same page anymore. Well, as shitty as that enforcement of beliefs are, and I'm sure as very many eighth graders who are being dropped off for youth group will tell you, they're very glad that condoms are accessible and available today. And as as are we, your two hosts, but let's just take a moment Let's just take a moment to those of us who owe the tabooness of condoms in a greater part of the last century to their existence today. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, without it, maybe might not have been here. So my grandparents were very Catholic in, in the 50s, and I don't think they were part of that statistic of <laughs> couples using condoms. They were They were on the the Pope's schedule or whatever, the, what did you call it? The natural family planning. That's how they ended up with five kids and a lot of amazing grandchildren like me. But if there was condoms were readily accessible, who's to say that my mom would have been born and who's to say that I would have been born? Oh, my dad was also a baby that they had at 40 as an accident. <laughs> now that's when people are having kids on purpose. I realized that as I said it, Laura. Oh, no, no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's very, very common. That's just how times have changed. Well, let's not go into the multiverse and imagine what would have happened if neither you and I were born. God, if only I didn't exist. <laughs> Sounds relaxing. <laughs> just nothingness. <laughs> Drifting. So despite all this history and the amazing stick-to-it attitude of the condom, I don't know why I keep personifying the condom, but I feel like he deserves a little hat. Maybe a cane. He is a hat. Exactly. That's why he needs a hat. But still, some men do not want to wear condoms. And I want to know why. They are 98% effective. They are as cheap as you can ask for. They are sold everywhere. They are portable. And they don't change the brains of their users like birth control. I will save my TED Talk on hormonal birth control for another episode. But I do want to know what possible reasons men can have for not wanting to wear their little cute penis bonnet. And we will get back and examine those reasons right after this quick break. So I have a question. Uh-huh. More like an observation and a question. Uh-huh. So... This might become a surprise to you, Laura, but I don't have a penis. <gasps> what? Never had the pleasure of owning one, only borrowed or rented for short <laughs> periods of time. Do you have a penis? Not my own, borrowed or rented, as you said, or an artificial, but yeah, n- not not me and myself. It's not attached yes. to me. I do not know what wearing a condom is like. I only know what it looks like. It's very stretchy. It's very thin. I've, I've held them many a times. So in my head, it should be okay. 
right? It seems fairly straightforward. But men have created a ton of different reasons why they shouldn't have to wear a condom through the ages. And I'm going to go to a little listicle that I've made here today about those reasons. And we are going to examine these from the most bullshit to the least bullshit. Okay, let's start with the first excuse. What is this reason you've met a guy at a bar, you're getting hot and heavy, you go back to your apartment and he's ready, drops trow, and you're like, wait, 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 how about one of these? And he says, my penis is way too big. Is that something people actually use? You Seriously? You never heard? Yes. Absolutely. And this is oh a my big goodness. fucking lie. They say my penis is too big to fit in a regular size condom. I the just audacity. can't do it. And the odds that his trouser snake is actually too big to be comfortable in a regular size condom is actually very, very small. <laughs> much like what he's probably actually working with i've seen people put whole condoms over their heads wear them as knee socks elbow length gloves do all this without breaking them so the odds that your joystick actually can't fit in there i'm sorry it's just absolute bullshit Wait, you don't have a whole lower half of a leg dangling <laughs> between your other two, like Ugh, a literal that's third horrifying. leg? That's a horrifying image. I that's like, like that. some straight out of animated porn shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll pass. <laughs> I mentioned John Holmes's circus dick. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with that. Terrifying. And I know exactly what that is. It's a famous porn star from the 70s who had the, like, the biggest dick possible. If you've ever seen pictures, you're just like, what is happening? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, scary anyway but men might actually be too big for it to be completely comfortable isn't that kind of the part of the fun right they make specific penis cages for this exact kind of thing it's titillating get on the bdsm wagon you know we (laughs) talked about that well it's like explore be a little open-minded gosh guy that's what i thought i'm like if the band is tight i think that it would serve as kind of a natural cock ring you know holding the the blood up where it's supposed to be but whatever We're all particular about what goes on in our nethers. So a guy who is a little bit too big to be completely 100% comfortable in a condom, not unwearable. They're all wearable. They might be a little bit uncomfortable, though, if you're well endowed. So you need to find a condom that you do like. They make a billion different shapes and sizes. They make the Magnum condoms. So Which I heard are not any bigger than other ones. They just have branding, all about the branding. I absolutely believe it. (laughs) (laughs) so get creative have fun try out some new brands find your perfect fit and if i have to do it with my bras every few years you can do it with your wang chung tonight and that's all i'm gonna say about that shit bras every few years it's every pair of jeans i've ever bought ever and there's no consistent sizing and i will fight for the right jeans you know you gotta jump up and down just to get them on (laughs) so if i'm doing that you can jump up and down (laughs) Pulling it up your dick. Oh, that's yeah. a bad image. <laughs> <laughs> that's sexy. Okay, next reason. Okay, once you say "ah, uh-uh, son," this is why. This is all the reasons why you can't use that excuse. He's gonna. He's gonna keep talking. He's mm-hmm. gonna come up with something else. What is he gonna say next? I don't need one, baby. I'm clean, and you look clean. He's willing to roll the dice. Interestingly, you can't tell if someone has an STD just by looking at them. Science. I can I can usually tell just by their face mostly. No, just kidding. <laughs> Symmetry, <laughs> a, a lack of uh, parasites and <laughs> It's just like no, you look like someone who's never had sex in their life. So, you're clean. <laughs> but there is a really interesting study that reveals actually that the hotter the woman is, the more likely a man is to risk it by going bareback. So this study, they showed men pictures of different women and asked them a series of questions. So how attractive is each woman? How much would they like to sleep with them? How at risk do they think that woman is to have an STD? And lastly, how likely they would be to have unprotected sex with her? Men rated the women they found the hottest 
to be the most at risk for having an STD. So she's hot. So therefore, she must be slutty and has an STD. Oh, no. And also, they were more likely to have unprotected sex with her. Make it make sense, man. Make it make sense. (laughs) And the opposite is also true. The less attractive they found that woman, the less likely they thought that she would be (laughs) to have an STD. But they were also less likely to have unprotected sex with her. They're like, I don't want no uggos. She doesn't have an STD. I'm not interested. She might give me sexually transmitted uggo-ness. <laughs> oh, my God. This sounds like some major misogynistic bullshit, if I had to wager. This is just insane. I don't what? It's pretty bonkers. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I thought that there was going to be like... Oh, m- morality linked to attractiveness where they thought the hot women no, were just, you know. total opposite. <laughs> no, they really did think that she might have a venereal disease and they're just like, worth it. <laughs> exactly. Smash. So that excuse that he doesn't need one because he's clean and you look clean, turns out he don't give a fuck whether or not you look clean, whether he thinks you're clean. If you're hot enough, he does not care. He will dive in no matter what. And if he did that with you, he's going to do. have done that with other people, too. So Absolutely. even if he says, I'm clean, I would maybe, unless you have a, uh, you know, they say get tested every six months if you're sexually active with multiple partners. So mm-hmm. I would say, like, you know, maybe consider that. And we have our pass, our vax ports. You need to have your, <laughs> oh, your swab ports. Yeah. Next excuse. Okay, so you've shut this guy down twice. He's obviously got an average-sized penis. And nothing wrong with that, by the way, fellas. Rock what you got. Average gets the job done. Yep. You've established that neither one of you has your STD-free clear card, <laughs> and you're just really like, hey, come on, die. Let's let's strap up here, buddy. What is he going to say next? He says, you know what? It really just kills the moment. What? Not this three-point argument we're already having that hasn't <laughs> killed the moment? <laughs> also, another version of this is I'm drunk, and I don't feel like it. And... The reaction to this, I mean, of course it's annoying and it's hard to do anything right when you're wasted, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. <laughs> well, truly, that's what I have to tell myself about brushing my teeth. Exactly. You know, thank God, diamond teeth. Every night I'm like, I'm already half asleep. I fell asleep on the couch. Now I got to go in here and brush my teeth, but I still do it. I understand the motivations behind this one, which is why it is lower down in the list as slightly less bullshit as the other ones, because we can all understand it. And we also know that sexual arousal and alcohol both change our brain chemistry. But come on, just just get with it. Just get with it and wrap it because condom sex is better than no sex and you got to do what you got to do. And if you're to the point where somebody's asking you to do it, then like they obviously have their head on in the heat of the moment. You can do as well. Very true. You got one person with good head on their shoulders. Listen to that person. Next reason. He doesn't have one. And I mean, as far as excuses go, it's kind of a decent one. I mean, (laughs) you can't can't use something that you don't have. So my advice on this one is ladies, stock up. And if you really want to give him a head trip about it, have a selection available for him to pick his preference. Like have different sizes and different kinds and have him wondering about all the other fellas that selected a gem from your jewel box before y'all got it on. Which means you have to come to your house though, right? For where your selection is kept. Because if you went back to... Yeah, and that's not good casual sex preference. You shouldn't bring people back to your house as a woman. You should go to their house. But is it is that safer then in the long run? Because you're in your house, you know he doesn't have his murder weapons, like his murder. But he box. can also come find you. Oh man, I don't know. This is why I'm not single. Ugh. Blech. Nothing about casual sex feels no. safe or interesting. I'm like, haven't you guys watched enough true crime? Yep, not for me. Uh-huh. I will keep the lid on my jewel box. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> And the final excuse, the coup de grace, the granddaddy of all excuses. You've been debating with this guy that you brought back to your house. Every punch he's throwing, you're blocking, you're deflecting, and you're throwing one right back at him. And here he is. He's winding out for the biggest knockout punch. What is it? It doesn't feel as good. Womp. 
Because sadly, this is not bullshit. It's true. It doesn't feel the same. Men and women both agree on this. Skin on skin is greatly preferred. And this interference with sexual pleasure is the number one reason why men and women don't use condoms. Do you think women can actually feel the difference or do they just don't want to hear their partner bitch about it? Like that makes it more fun. I think there there's both involved because I did read a bunch of testimonials from women who were just like, nope, it's not the same. But there were more of those quotes where women were saying, yeah, it's not the same, but that's the price of admission, especially if we're having casual sex. We don't know each other very well. We're not an established relationship. It's not as good, but it's just worth the risk. Yeah, I think we need some academic studies on this, like a double blind study. You know, I just tried. Like- I tried to find some. <laughs> I can you imagine the lab that's like, lay back, close your eyes. <laughs> Let me option know. Option A. Option B. <laughs> a. Can I feel B again? B. <laughs> I don't know. They feel the same. It's like at the eye doctor. <laughs> no difference. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Better or just darker? <laughs> Better. Worse. <laughs> Better. Worse. <laughs> Better no or just darker. <laughs> and for me, I think the core of the it doesn't feel good reason is that young heterosexual people, they don't really think of themselves as being at a great risk for STDs. And by the way, I say STDs, even though other people say STIs now. I don't know when that changed, but I grew up with STDs. So that's what I say. So they are thinking of pregnancy first and foremost when they think about risks. And pregnancy risks can be knocked down to almost nil by hormonal birth control. So even though there are more general side effects with the pill, women are more likely to tolerate these side effects rather than experience that decrease of sexual pleasure when they use condoms. And in my opinion, they're more likely to tolerate these side effects because they know that men are going to fight them on condom usage. Like you said, that they're going to bitch about it. It's just not worth the hassle. Because if you're out trying to engage in casual sex, you're not doing it to have like a debate. You're doing it because you want to get stuffed, man. Yeah. And you you need that from time to time. And so it's just easier. Bing, bang, boom. You take your pill. You know that you got it locked down. He can Mm -hmm. say he's going to pull out whatever. But, you know, you're good. And you just roll with the punches and you dodge them. Because most STDs are very treatable. It would suck, but they're very, very treatable. There are exceptions, of course. Nobody wants to end up with herpes or HIV. But apparently these are the risks that people are taking every single day. Well, truly, if you are somebody, and I guess you can have it unintentionally, or not intentionally, you can have it unknowingly. But if you're like advocating for having unprotected sex, knowing you have these two diseases, you are a horrible person. Absolutely. (laughs) Like, I think you can actually go to jail if you knowingly have unprotected sex with someone with having HIV. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. I think I've read that before. So these were all the top reasons that were given across all the Cosmos, the Men Health articles, all that. You know, the creme de la creme of scientific (laughs) research. But after doing all of this research into the history, I started to see a theme that came out, and that was the theme of a taboo. Well, luckily, that is what we talk about here on Impolite Society. Luckily. So there were a ton of academic articles that I found about condom hesitancy in every culture that you can think of. It was so specific, like condom hesitancy in Southeast Asian men who relocated to the south of France, like just so specific. But none of them talked about the U.S., Condoms are still hugely taboo in a huge portion of the world, and health professionals, they are trying to break down those walls to promote safe sex all over the globe, but it's really hard. And given the history that we went through, is it really so crazy to think that here in the U.S., we still have some of those associations with condoms that we could probably shed? And I think that people still think of condoms as something for the sex crazed people that sleep with a person every night or for prostitutes or that in some way it might affect your manly performance. And I think that's absolutely fair because when I hear about people talking about not 
wearing condoms, it's usually because they are with a committed partner. Mm -hmm. So it is like, I trust them. Maybe they've actually done a test, but it probably is mostly to do with trust. And that's why they don't wear it. It's like, I'm only having sex with one person. I don't need to wear a condom. Yeah. And I actually read a couple of studies about how people's perceptions of relationships affected whether or not they were going to use a condom. Not an STD test. It was all about how they thought about the relationship that affected whether or not that they were going to use a condom. So that goes down to what I said is they think condoms are for people who are more promiscuous and untrustworthy, whereas Mm -hmm. I'm different. My partner is different. We love each other. We're committed. Why would we need a condom? And- 300 years after a Jesuit priest called it no good, we're still dealing with religions who say that condoms are a no-go. So have we really changed all that much to completely leave these stigmas behind, even after the AIDS epidemic made condoms more mainstream? People... We're different, but we're the same, right? We're still unpacking a lot of the things that have set us up to be where we are. And it's just interesting that one of those little roundabout things that came was happened to be condoms and wrapping your dick up. So back to the rude question, why won't men wear condoms? Because they're all packing too big of equipment for the <laughs> for the uniforms. Well, in my opinion, it's partly because it's still seen as a taboo. And that totally tracks to me. It's linked to that sexual promiscuity where men don't want to be seen that way with a woman. So if they come into a sexual situation and whip out a condom and roll it on, she might be thinking like, oh, you know, how many people has he had sex with? Is he maybe a, mm-hmm. a problem or like having has a disease? Mm-hmm. Or it might not be so nefarious where the men just might not see themselves at that way. Mm-hmm. They don't see themselves as a Casanova. So why would you need to have a condom if you aren't promiscuous, if you've only had sex with a handful of women in the last couple of years? I also think another solid reason is that, yeah, it does not feel the same. And men are thinking with their wrong head. They don't have the head on their shoulders like a woman does to say, okay, it might not be as good, but we still have to do this. And I think it's also because men don't have to. Women have adapted. They've anticipated that behavior and they're ready with the pill because you can take some antibiotics for syphilis. But an unwanted pregnancy is a whole different ball of string, one that usually a woman has to deal with alone. So they are very much so prepped and ready to go for that contingency plan. And it's funny that we've had this whole conversation about why men don't like to do it without bringing up evolutionary biology and some of the things around that of we're truly fighting our nature. Our nature is to procreate. So in that moment, when you're really going into your reptile brain, right, your mammalian brain, Mm -hmm. it's like, fuck, fuck, (laughs) fuck. (laughs) Fuck this thing. Good God. Fuck that. Get this off of me. I mean, even on some level where your higher brain is maybe syncing up with the lower brain and you realize that's going to prevent the whole reason you're doing this. I don't know. It's like grilling up a, a steak and slapping it in front of you and saying like, you can chew it, but don't swallow. I'm really glad that you mentioned evolutionary biology because it was suspiciously absent from all of my research today. And that was kind of by design. You know, to me, it's like, yeah, of course, we all want to have sex without condoms. It's what's designed to feel the best. That's evolution at work. But we just have to put it aside. We have to decide to be more level-headed than that, which granted is kind of a tall order. So I'm glad that you brought it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's rare to have a, an episode without it. Especially um, one about dicks. <laughs> <laughs> that is the uh, the pinnacle of evolution right there. <laughs> the human male schlong. <laughs> so that is it for us today. Let us know what you think, guys. Do you hate wearing condoms women can you feel the difference between condoms and skin to skin i can feel the difference but i generally just don't care i have no preference really either way and if you want to weigh in on this great condom debate how would you do that 
you might send us an email at rude at impolitesocietypodcast.com or you might slip into our DMs on any of our social platforms. Uh, that is TikTok. We have a Facebook group called The Impolite Society. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and I think that's about it. We're not very active, but we will still see your DMs there. So if you said, if you want to reach out to us, that's a foolproof way to do that if, I don't know, you're like a caveman who doesn't have an email account. <laughs> And also remember, tell your other smarty pants friends to have a listen. Knowledge is power, guys. Share the power. Yeah. If you are a gal and you've had a friend who's had a guy try to like pull any of this excuses we talked about, send her this episode and, and let her know that we got her back for the next time. And if you're a dude who's decided that I can't feel anything with a condom on, you let us know how much you're paying in child support and how much you feel that. So like, loosen up or use some lube, you know, loosen your grip, buddy, because that might actually help some nerve endings reform. <laughs> so I hear. All right, guys, we will talk to you in another two weeks. And remember, stay curious and keep marching to the beat of your own drum. Wrap it up. Wrap, wrap it up. Did we, did we use that joke? We're going to wrap up the show. No, I didn't. I was like, this is too on the nose. That's uh, how we like it. On the tip <laughs> of our nose. Tied with a nice, pretty bow. The dick bonnet. Under the chin. <laughs> the dick chin. <laughs> Which we all know where it is. Like, we can picture where the dick chin is. No percent. It's kind of cute. You can kind of tickle it. I'm going to end up sounding Indian anytime here. <laughs> Be like, I do not want to wrap it up. Thank you. Come again. Can't keep that anymore. Whatever. Who's editing this episode?